All right, Will Barnes, what are you going to teach me that I can't learn from Will Thorndike's episode series on 50X with Nick Howley, with some deeply experienced investors in Transdime? Um, how, how, is, how is what we're doing in any way incremental to what's already out on this incredibly well-studied, incredibly well-known business as far as the, the quality investor community is concerned? It's a good question. It's a good podcast. It's a, it's a very good po- series of good podcasts. Although I'm not sure it's in Nick's incentive to tell you the secrets of the aftermarket. <laughs> the, the secrets of the aftermarket, eh? <laughs> not that there are any secrets, but yeah, I think it's, it's I mean, that is obviously a really, that's a great, start of a learning journey for, for Transdime for anyone. There's some good old investment memos on there as well. But I think our work has been, yeah, around trying to, I mean, like everyone knows Transdime is an incredible business, you know, but it, I think our workers have been trying to understand like really how good is it, you know, how, you know, the conviction you need to really, you know, own a business that has five, seven times leverage and is operated as they say, like a, I hate this terminology, but a private equity type business in a in a publicly listed. Why do you hate that terminology? Because everyone uses it, and it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> but I mean, they actually they actually live by it, right? And so, yeah, it's it's really just about, and it obviously ties into our work around with, with ICO and the aftermarket. But I think it's it's around deep you know, trying to understand exactly why it's possible for this business to operate and grow the way it does and like understand the true operating philosophies of Transdime, you know, and they're very simple in how they communicate. You know, there's three pillars, it's value-based pricing, it's productivity, cost improvements, and it's new profitable business. It's literally idiot proof. You know, anyone, anyone who understands any form of business or anything running a lemonade stand can understand, you know, those kind of, free principles, yet they run rings around anyone in, in aerospace. So really deeply understanding why and how this is possible. There's obviously a lot of somewhat negative press from the DOJ and all you know stuff around pricing around Transdime. And I think one of the first interviews that we done and we published that went mini viral, if we can even call it viral, it's not really viral, but um, was on Transdime. And I think that interview illustrated or highlighted some of those simple truths around specifically around value-based pricing and 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 how transdime thinks about its operating companies and the value that it provides its customers and hence why it prices the way it does that leads to the the types of returns that it does so yeah it's it's i mean that's certainly a good place to start in terms of that 50x stuff and and hopefully ours can you know supplement that a lot in terms of providing much more context and much more of the granularity around how it actually works because everyone knows that they have pricing power but why and how and and how do they implement it how do customers react to it you know how do they how do they reprice contracts when they buy a business 
and how is that difficult? Why does it work? Why don't others do it? Like that type of thing is is, is kind of what we've explored over the last few years. Well, let's talk about that. Let's let's look at the work that we've done around the structure of the industry and the ways in which the structure of the industry has allowed for Transdime to pursue this strategy so successfully? I think it dates back, well, that's what we wrote in our piece, 40, 50 years, right? Some of these old decisions potentially by the airframers, Boeing and Airbus, in in outsourcing a lot more of the, the design and engineering work for parts. You know, it's, it's, I think it stems back to the 787 was the major change where they they had a, Boeing was struggling and they'd overspent on, on R&D and, and for, for that platform. And they had a new CEO that focused a lot on, or wanted to reorganize the business to focus around return on equity, which meant limiting how much they spent on, on the CapEx or on the R&D and, and led to more outsourcing activity. And so they, they lost a lot of expertise, engineering expertise across the platform and outsourced a bunch of the design and engineering, like the core IP of the of the parts to OEMs. And they've never kind of returned to having as much in-house as they did for, for those older platforms. So yeah, that, that effectively laid the foundations for the OEMs to own more of the IP on more of the core intellectual property, the certification intellectual property of the of the platforms, newer platforms from the 787, led the OEMs to own more of that than the airframer, which, uh, yeah, has potentially led to this somewhat inverted pyramid in the industry where the OEMs counterintuitively have much more power than... Than the airframer that well fundamentally owns the type certification of the aircraft. You, know, you own a Boeing seven three seven. You know that's it's their specification. Yet the the OEMs have have the core or have the rights and, and and the expertise of the core intellectual property to make that design, make that type certification work. I make the airplane fly, and, and so that's led to a somewhat shift in the bargaining power and the value chain over the last 30, 40 years that allows companies like Transdime, well, I think they were the first to really understand that, where historically Boeing and the airframers used to push the little OEMs around and demand certain pricing on the OE side and the aftermarket side, and then Transdime realized that they had no had no bite, you know, so they, they could, yeah, leverage their, and obviously Transdime, but masters at this in terms of focusing specifically on sole source mission critical sub three thousand dollar parts mainly going to sub assemblies stuff like that but even now it seems from from our work the likes of honeywell eaton goodrich some of the bigger call it tier one integrates or system providers that are providing much bigger systems are even you know learning from transdime and now leveraging some of their dynamic pricing value-based pricing strategies in the aftermarket because the airframers of of somewhat ceded control or power in, in the value chain over the last 30, 40 years. There's a broader point that I want to draw out, which is just how much time we spend on value chain power dynamics and and how you've how you've approached that 
in this particular case through primary research. It takes a while digging through the FAA regulations and stuff like that. That is pretty boring to most people. But yeah, it's, it's critical to understand. Yeah, obviously, I mean, aerospace is highly regulated, you know, and this is what makes Transdimer somewhat regulated m- monopoly in their parts, you know, because they, the FAA regulation enables that. So you have to understand the regulatory framework, which Boeing and, and these aircraft are, have to abide by and have to get certified by the FAA. And then that certification process structures the value chain, the bargaining power in a certain way. You know, and also there's been, there's, there's been evolutions in that, right? And how the FAA regulations evolve, how the airframer approaches that certification, how much they insource, outsource OEMs. Then they've obviously evolved with PMAs and PMA becomes a risk to OEMs. And also, you know, you have airlines work with PMA. So, it, you know, that whole, the evolution of the of the of the regulation is the historical context is obviously crucial to understand the value chain dynamics and you know there's been one reason why I've focused on it so much because I always just ask myself like how does Boeing and Airbus allow this? Transdime will earn four billion in EBIT next this fiscal year two thousand twenty four. That's like. I mean, Boeing and Airbus are wildly volatile, but for an OEM to earn stable, growing operating income relative to, I don't know, the 10, 15, 20 billion that Boeing may earn, you know, it's not crazy to think that Transdime in 10 years' time will be, well, it's already, you know, nearly more valuable than the airframers from a market cap perspective. So how is this possible when Boeing... Is the type certification owner? They own the aircraft, and that that's been like the whole part of our research in understanding that dynamic. What and how? What could Boeing do to Transdime? This is part of the piece that you know the context of this piece of research we've done on Transdime and understanding. You know, if you're if you're Boeing, what do you think about this? And you hear from airlines that but Transdime companies are hiking the price and OE, you know, not, not just Transdime, but all of the OEMs are hiking their price every year, more expensive for them to run. They don't want to buy the planes, the big, you know, whatever. So yeah, what could Boeing or the airframers do? And we had a, there's, you know, funny enough, there was a very explicit program inside of Boeing pre-COVID, a couple of years before 2018-19, where, you know, back off the back of this whole push of Boeing in, into Boeing's uh, global services division, where they wanted to hit a 50 billion target they put out to the press and the market, a large part of that was clawing back aftermarket revenue, part of that profit pool. And, and so there's a couple of stories that we explore that I think you know, was, was a key part of our research and understanding well, what could, if Boeing decides to take back some of the aftermarket or part of the aftermarket, what would they do? How, how have they gone about it? And that just so happens that they actually sent, they sent letters out to OEMs. You know, we've spoken to various Transdime, Honeywell, Eaton executives. They said they received a letter from Boeing saying, hey, you know, you got to give me X percent of your aftermarket revenue now, because <laughs> you're selling you're selling parts on my plane. 
And I said, yeah, right, right, <laughs> no chance. So, so they've tried to, they've tried in certain ways to, to take back this aftermarket. And, and so that's what they've done broadly for the, for the, for the, for OEMs. And there was a program internally at, at Boeing. We actually found the guy who ran the program, which was pretty interesting. We found the person who, who, who was, had a budget to reverse engineer Transdyne parts to replace Transdyne. And they successfully replaced one part. And so we explore how they done that, what the what the result was, how how airlines received that, and what that means for today and, and how that how that could evolve. How many years has it been since you started looking at the business? Well, not enough because I clearly didn't understand it enough. <laughs> I understand how good it was. <laughs> but it's been a while. I mean, I don't know. Six years? Yeah, we've been publishing through through in practice for four years almost four years on the business and 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 that's it and that work was based on yeah but you know i probably like if i look back and i actually done this last night on the weekend because i was updating my stuff my um, stuff on transdime and i look back to my old notes and again like it People, it's it's intuitive to understand why Transdime is is a quality business, all right? Like you know, sole source parts, proprietary parts, mission critical, below certain ASP, echo flies under the random. That's all great. But like to truly understand and have conviction about how good it really is, you know, I obviously didn't understand that back then, and I had this surface level understanding that it was great. I mean, that, that would have been enough, maybe, but but you know, and also the fact that you run it runs at five and you know five between five and seven times net leverage, like it, you need that much more. Well, I felt like I probably needed that much more conviction to own it, and with that surface level knowledge of like, oh, it's great because they sell parts in the aftermarket, you know, and it's sole source and it can't get from anywhere else, and they price them really high, you know, is is or price them they do value based pricing, not very high, but. Um, that wasn't enough to own it if it has that much leverage. So I think part of the work over the last few years is just really building, well, trying to understand deeply at its roots, how is this business possible? What? How could it go wrong? How, do, how does Boeing allow this to happen? How do the airlines allow this to happen? What are the competitive risks really to this business structurally? Well, this is what people can expect from our work is – analysis and well the raw the raw interviews based on this program or process of testing working hypotheses about the nature or the possibility for value creation over extended periods of time in the industries that we look at yeah and you can go like for example with and there's still work that we've that i'm, that I'm doing and we've got to do which is you know, I'm still picking apart the Esteline acquisition. It's taking me a while, but I'm still going through through that and 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 understanding exactly what they do and how they do it, and how they change businesses post acquisition. What are they? You know, similar to what we've done in Constellation for what they do post acquisition when they acquire obviously very different sized businesses, but and there are parallels between the two, and then I think that's part of like. And it comes through in some of the Esteline 
the Esteline proxy and, and, and some of the other, you know, work on um, well, the 10Ks around post-deal with Esteline and also the, the earnings calls. But it's and it's very similar to Constellation in a way. They're very similar type businesses um, where it's the, the value-based pricing element of both of them comes from an ineffectiveness of the prior owner and a misunderstanding of the prior owner of the quality of the asset that they actually own. For example, if you're a, t- you know, Constellation would always say, and, and, you know, and, and Andreessen and many people say, startups perpetually underprice their, you know, software startups perpetually underprice their product. And, and so it's not crazy to think that when Constellation are buying assets and they, and that the, these businesses they're acquiring are underpriced, you know, and, and therefore they have a repricing of contracts. Same thing with, with Transdome. And I think the Esteline acquisition shows that where prior OEM, prior owners of the assets of the, of the Transdome opcos, i.e. other OEMs, don't understand the aftermarket as well as Transdome. And sometimes it might even just have a definition, definitional difference in how they define the aftermarket. Yeah, for example, if it's sold via a distributor into XYZ, it might be not classed as 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 aftermarket or, or whatever. But you know, clearly you know, the Esteline deal and, and, and the Cory deal and others that Transdom have made specifically outright said that we have a different opinion about what is what this asset is. And 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 you know, Esteline was underperforming Many others, and Corey was underperforming as well, and so it's it's that it's that insight where, yeah, where, where I guess Transdime and Constellation, and the and the, and the very different um, but somewhat similar, and I think Transdime is actually probably a a higher quality business than, than Constellation in a way, um, because it's a because you have that regulatory framework and, and which which makes it much higher harder to replace the parts, but there's somewhat similar insights that underpin the two businesses. And to be specific, when you're talking about quality, you mean durability of cash flows. Yeah, I mean the, I mean the, exactly the, the the durability of the. Of, of the cash flow, which stems from the durability of the positioning of, of, of that certain asset in a value chain in a, in a competitive market. And, and, you know, there are, I mean, you can just look at the, the underlying organic growth for both businesses and, and look at the, yeah, the, the many VMS businesses are many are, but many are not regulated monopolies right not monopolies but not regulated in a way that makes it categorically uneconomical to recertify or recode um an erp for a golf course in edinburgh right whereas if you want to recertify and, and switch out a certain you know lru or component in a in a in a, in a sub-assembly on a 737 it's going to cost you a ton of money, you know? So, I mean, they both cost money and they both take time. 
One's regulated, one's not. Um, yeah, and so it's they're, they're obviously both, you know, two of the some of the best businesses that we've I've probably ever come across. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably well put it this way: if Transdime couldn't deploy any MA from today, and Constellation couldn't, I'd rather own Transdime because because you know, yeah, I mean they they. They'll have higher organic growth because of the, they're on the platforms, and as long as you ensure that they keep up with the R and D, so keep manufacturing and getting on new platforms. But whereas Constellation owns somewhat um, different types of assets that are, have much more lower organic growth, and so as we move to wrapping up for today, let's look at some of the the key questions and working hypotheses we'll be continuing to test in the coming years for the business and, and the, the space overall? Well, like I said, we're doing the, picking apart the Estherline deal is still something I'll, I'll eventually get around to. Understanding, like doing maybe like a case study on on Estherline, just because it was the biggest one, but but yeah, maybe Cowspan or focus on Estherline first, but doing a kind of M and a case study of what Transdime done and piecing the, the, the puzzle together potentially is one piece. Um, yeah. And then a big piece of work we're looking to do next month or in the new year is customers and finding and sourcing airline MRO customers. Those that are well involved in the procurement of, of Transdyne parts, replacement parts, and also PMA parts, right? That compete with OEM parts, i.e. for Heiko. And just really, we're going to run a survey, hopefully, of airline MRO customer, MRO execs, i.e. customers of OEMs and PMAs, and just ask them, like, how, I mean, do you, you know, some people I've spoken to don't even know Transline, the name Transline, because obviously they have operating, you know, decentralized opcodes, but understand if they, if, you know, how they choose OEMs versus PMAs, why, how, when, um, what if, etc., and and understand more about Transdon specifically, Heiko specifically, and and those two that would be a pretty interesting customer perspective for both Transdon and Heiko.